Hey everyone, welcome to the Founder Hour with Pat and Posh. For episode 13, we sat down with Robert Cromfley. It all started in a college apartment with his roommate, hosting a weekly dinner party for friends, and eventually becoming so in demand that it became an almost nightly ordeal. Robert continued his journey in the hospitality space, creating a Venetian-inspired concept, Baccaro and Baccarie, along with a few other ventures. You can find these hotspots in downtown LA, Glendale, Playa del Rey, and more to come. Enjoy the show. Our first dinner, we served 12 people. And fast forward two years later, second semester of senior year, uh, we're doing on Thursday nights, 72 people. And then sometimes operating Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday out of our apartment. Wow. Hey everyone, we're here with Bobby Cromfley, the founder of Baccaro and Baccarie. Bobby, it's nice to have you with us. Thank you, it's good to be here. So, let's kick it off with how long have you been living in LA? My whole life. Born and raised here. I grew up in, uh, I grew up in Pasadena. Very cool, very yeah. cool. So what was Bobby like as a kid? Tell us, tell us about your childhood a little bit. Um, that's a funny question. Uh, uh, okay, uh, physically I was a pretty, very thin, you know, phys- uh, wasn't really a big kid. I'm still pretty skinny, but I was like skinny, skinny. Uh, I was, I, I had an artistic side of me. I was like really good at drawing. Um, I used to draw a lot like caricatures and like cartoons and, and like shit like that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I was also like pretty athletic mm-hmm. too. I was like always like one of the better kids on the playground. You know, I wasn't the kid who got picked last. Right. Thank God. Um, you were the one who picked the last person. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, and I had like two older brothers too uh, in school with me. So I, I, I don't know. I was pre- just a pretty normal kid, pretty well-rounded kid. Um, didn't get in trouble too much. What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, at one point I wanted to be a garbage man. That was when I was <laughs> really young. Right, because I love garbage trucks. What's the fancy word for it? Sanitation uh, engineer. Sanitation engineer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I you want really, to be an engineer, not a, tr- yeah, not a garbage. I was just guy. fascinated by garbage trucks, like yeah. the, the arm and the, the mechanics, yeah. and the whole thing. I don't know. I was just fascinated. At one point, I wanted to be a car designer because I was drawing a lot at that time. Uh, but uh, I knew to some degree I always wanted to work for myself. Okay. Whatever that ended up being. I didn't know and I didn't think about it too much because I was a kid, Mm -hmm. but I grew up in an environment where uh, my dad and my uncle had their own business and I spent my summers there working there in the factory. And What was the business? uh, They had a big textile manufacturing mill, so Mm -hmm. they did all different types of high-performance fabrics for Nike and Adidas and all these people growing up. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, summers when kids were out doing whatever they're doing. I was, I was working back in the factory with all those guys and enjoyed it, you know, and got to see my dad and my uncle in action. Um, and then all, all, you know, and my grandfather and his brothers had their own business, great grandfather, you know, this whole thing. Uh, so we kind of raised in a way, um, and nurtured in a way for, since we're, you know, pretty young, um, you know, you guys should have your own business. You should have your own business with your brothers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know that whole. But did they push? Thing. Did they push you going to college as well, or? Uh, yeah, of course. I, I mean, preferably, yes. Yeah. Uh, if I didn't, if we didn't end up going to college, it wouldn't have been the end of the world or anything. Right. But, I mean, both my parents went to college and everything too. I mean, yeah, of course, of course, they wanted us to go to college. I mean, I think there is. There is a small part of my dad who wanted us just to grow up to be an accountant or a lawyer or and that's a like, doctor. And that's like every, I know, I know you're like Middle easier. Eastern. Yeah, I'm Middle Eastern too, Pat's Middle Eastern. I mean, like, yeah. that's kind of like the Middle Eastern thing is like, you know, my, my dad always says, you know, I didn't have an opportunity to go to school. He only went, I think, to like fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't because of his choice. It was like, you know, they were growing up in Lebanon during the Civil War. Right. You know, for, so right. for him, it's like, 
you know, posture in America, you got to, you know, you got to go to college, you have to go to grad school, like, you know, even a bachelor's is not enough. So it's interesting that you say that, uh, you know, that your parents, obviously, they wanted you to go, but they were still okay with the fact that if that wasn't going to happen, yeah. you'd still be okay. Yeah, they definitely nurtured our entrepreneurial side I, more. I mean, even when I was a kid, like, in fifth or sixth grade, I, I was starting to run my own businesses as a kid. Yeah. Um, just naturally. Um, I was, I had a candy store um, in fifth grade. I was slinging candy on Fridays to all the kids. Um, baseball cards. I had this whole little shop that they let me run in a classroom every Friday that had baseball cards, candy, um, puzzles, Legos, and like all this stuff mm-hmm. that I'd, I'd sell to kids. Um, I also would tape uh, wrestling videos, pay-per-view stuff, and mm-hmm. record them and rent them out, kind of like like Blockbuster. I was influenced by Blockbuster as a kid. Yeah. And I would get in those, trouble. Those were, the, those were the wrestling days, right? Like those were the, the wrestling days. The, the golden era Kane, of WWF. Yeah. Undertaker. And yeah, it was huge. It was huge. Yeah. And, uh, and luckily, I had parents who didn't check the pay-per-view, uh, pay-per-view bill, bill. Amazing. So my brothers and I would order it, and I would record it you know, on the VCR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd take it to school, and with a bunch of kids who didn't get to see it, yeah, yeah. mostly the boys, and I would rent it out to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I got in trouble every single time I did something like this. And then. By who? Your teachers or parents? Yeah, yeah, of course, the teachers. Um, and then my parents would act angry. But when I got home, my dad secretly loved it, you know, and was like, good job. Yeah. You know, he, he loved that entrepreneurial right. spirit in us. He, he probably saw that this was just the beginning of, you know, what's to come. You know, I don't know if he was doing the same things back then, but I think he saw that what you were doing and, you know, just the mentality that you had would hopefully turn into something bigger, you know, in your adult life. Yeah. Yeah. And even like little things like when we used to go to our beach house, he would make us sell lemonade on the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not, you guys aren't just playing all day. Yeah. That's not why we came to the beach. He's like, we're going to the market. <laughs> we're going to get everything. You guys are going to sell lemonade all day. And I'm like, all right. And what do you, uh, but what do you, th- like, was he just trying to teach you like, yeah. So he, he would take us to the market and we'd buy everything we need. And then he'd say, okay, all right, guys, we, we spent $40 on all of our supplies today. If we sell lemonades at two bucks a piece, how many lemonades do we need to sell to make our 40 bucks back? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he'd give us like really simple lessons like that, very simple ones to get, to get it going in our heads. At the time, did you resent that or you had a good time? You know, you were having fun. <sighs> We resented at the beginning because at the beginning you're just like, what? Like, we just want to go play down at the beach, you know? Right. Why are you How making old are you at this point? Like 10? Yeah. I'm like, why are you making yeah. me do this right now? But then once we got into it and started selling and he was selling the lemonade with us, you know, he, he loved being part of it. Yeah. Then we like got into it, yeah. you know? And we sold a shitload of fucking lemonade, man. <laughs> a shitload of lemonade. And then, I mean, it got to a point where uh, there was other kids selling lemonade right down the boardwalk, like... 10 houses down or something. And my dad's like, all right, how are we going to compete with these kids? They came into this. He's like, what do you do? They came in at the same price as you guys. Uh, and they're taking some of your customers away. What are you going to do about that? And then he'd like make us think about that. And my brother's like, well, what if we started doing frozen lemonades? And my dad's like, that's a great idea. Let's go back to the market. <laughs> so, and then the next day we started doing slushy lemonades and selling them for three bucks instead of two bucks. Mm-hmm. And everybody loved them, you know? So it was just like lesson and lesson after that growing up our whole lives and then, of course, working out there at their uh, yeah. uh, facility. So you, you're getting a, this lesson in business when you're a kid and you're kind of seeing how it all works and, you, and your dad is obviously teaching you all this. Uh, but when it does come time for college, you, you go to college. Um, what did you do in college? Uh, well, at the time, uh, again, I have a very artistic side of me. So at, at the time in, in, in high school, uh, I was a a really proficient musician at the time I was uh, playing a lot mm-hmm. and it was really my guitar that got me into USC um, I would have not gotten in otherwise I've never been a good student um, I wasn't a terrible student but like cumulative GPA I'm 2.85 in high school you know I'm just Sounds not one of those kids yeah. you know yeah. and it was like you need like a 4.0 and above these days you know it's ridiculous right. but at the same time I was really really fucking good at the guitar you know, so I applied to music school and that got me in, you know, to the mm-hmm. music school. Uh, 
and I was a music major and then I picked up entrepreneurship also and started to kind of branch out once I got there. And, you know, so I was taking business courses. I was taking music courses. It was cool to be in two different worlds, right? Half my day I was with left, left brain people. Right. The other half of my day I was with right brain people. Like mm-hmm. incredible, uh, incredible musicians right. half the day. The other day with my fraternity bros in finance. I'm kind of curious. What did you think you were going to do as a music major or as a guitar player? Did you think that that was going to be, you know, something that became your career? Uh, at some point, at some point, like those first couple of years, uh, you know, I didn't, honestly, I didn't really think that hard about it. I was just, I was just playing and I was just doing, you know, you know what I mean? When you're just doing and yeah, you're, yeah. you're not really thinking, you're just in right. college and you're just doing. Uh, but then things started to change a little bit when, um, I, I was I was living with with two guys. That this is junior year or late senior, uh, late sophomore year, excuse me. Um, and I was living with this guy Alex, um, good friend of mine. And we started having these dinner parties mm-hmm. um, at our place every Thursday night. Thursday night's party night at us. You would cook. Um, Alex and I would cook at that time. So we'd have really casual things. You know, invite a couple girls over, invite some guys over. Mm-hmm. Get drunk. We'll cook this big family meal. Okay. Easy. Fast forward a couple months. There is word of mouth kind of gets around. Um, now, all of a sudden, 30 people are showing up to our apartment for a free meal. They would just show up? like uninvited. Yeah, or like, fr- you know, friends would text us and say, hey, can I bring this friend or can I bring this person, right? And we say, yeah, okay, all right. And then... It kind of built to a point where it's now people we don't even know are showing up to our apartment for right. this free food yeah. and this like casual. So how, how often did you say you guys are doing this every Thursday? Every Thursday. Okay. So then Alex and I got to a point where we said, um, you know, shit, if, if they're willing to come back and tell their friends about it, I think if we charge them a fair price, um, they pay it, you know. Uh, so then we took that simple idea, formalized it a little bit more. And the next week, we, we did a set menu, a three-course appetizer, entree, dessert for 15 bucks. Got tables and chairs, light dimmers, candles, silverware, everything we needed to, to run like a restaurant. You know, because our idea was, let's not make it so casual where people are just hanging around a couch, eating food with their hand. You know, let's, let's make a restaurant out of this place. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. Exactly. Uh, so we... Our first dinner, we served 12 people. Um, who all paid 15 each. Who all paid 15 each. And fast forward two years later, second semester of senior year, uh, we're doing, on Thursday nights, 72 people. Um, and then sometimes operating Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday out of our apartment. Wow. Uh, doing 70 people every night. Wow. It was pretty insane. And, and was that because you couldn't fit anymore or like was it just because? Yeah, I mean, well, and, and those years between, we, st- we stuck to Thursday nights and yeah. I mean, we, we built a huge email list and we sent, out the, we sent out the menu ahead of time on a Sunday night, Monday morning and people would reserve by email. Uh, we started selling out those dinners in probably three or four minutes after I sent out that initial email. Yeah. Uh, so when Thursdays started to get booked like that, we started to expand the days, right? Because actually people would email me kind of pissed off. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, I've been trying to make a reservation at your place for like two months. I can never email you back in time because I'm in class. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. every time you send out the fucking email, I'm in class. So once I realized people are actually, it got to a point where people are actually starting to get pissed. You know, not just like, oh, I can't get into this place. I'll get in sometime. Mm-hmm. They're actually starting to get fucking pissed off at us. So it's like, all right, Alex, we need to do start doing another day. Uh, so that's when we picked up another day, you know, and it just kind of, you know, you grow as yeah. as the demand grows. And and what was Alex doing at the time, like with his so so as soon as things ramped up, Alex became the chef, full on chef. But was he like a like a culinary major? Or was he doing something? No, he was he was uh, pre med. Uh, <laughs> amazing kinesiology pre med. Yeah, he just uh, loved cooking. Yeah, he just loved yeah. cooking. We both did, yeah. but he's you know on a whole another level than I am. Mm-hmm. So he, he, uh, he took on the executive chef role 
just handle all the kitchen stuff. And I just basically did everything else around him. Is there any worry at this point of like, we're running this, I mean, let's just call it like, it was like an illegal operation technically. Yeah. Um, was there any, and I'm not, you know, frowning down on, you know, frowning down on this, but were you guys worried at all about, you know, getting, I guess, caught or stopped by, you know, the police or anything like that? Yeah, of course, but fuck it. You know, yeah. honestly, I mean, it would, it would cross my mind. Uh, mostly I was worried about neighbors complaining because yeah. that's when you get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Noise complaints. Um, yeah. I mean, we had the cops roll by a couple times. DPS came, uh, the campus security people came every goddamn week. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it was my birthday every week. You know, I'm just having people up for dinner for my birthday. You know, they yeah, come yeah. and poke their head and just see a bunch of people sitting down eating and just like, all right. Yeah. Um, you know, we get complaints from neighbors. I just bribe them with a free meal. You know, you do what you got to do. Uh, but I wasn't that worried. We were never that... I mean, we started selling booze at one point, too. Right. A year into it, we had a whole cocktail menu. We were making booze. It was BYOB. Yeah. yeah it was fantastic. Right. It's a whole, <laughs> whole other level yeah. of legal. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby, when did you... I mean, I know we've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and founders at this point, and one thing that a lot of them have this... that have, that have One thing that they have in common is this, like, fuck it mentality. You know, they're just like, fuck it. I mean, you know, if yeah. it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Or if it's illegal, you know, we're just, we're just going to do it. It doesn't yeah. really matter. Yeah. I, I think I think it's necessary to have that frame of mind sometimes. Because as an entrepreneur, you need to break some rules, right, to, to get where you need to go sometimes. And I don't mean laws. I just mean right. societal rules right, right, sometimes. Right. Or yeah. like the box that you're put into sometimes. You know, it's just like... Well, you know, you're told this is the way it should be, right? And you're like, no, well, fuck it. Well, I'm going to try it this way and shit, it might not work. But um, yeah, I just think it's a necessary mentality sometimes, you know. Uh, well, I just think in general, entrepreneurs are a little bit more risk averse. Uh, I, I'm, I'm okay with taking a lot more risk, a lot less risk averse is what I meant to say. I think uh, entrepreneurs are more comfortable with taking risks than other people. That's why they're entrepreneurs. Well, yeah. why, do you th- why do you think that is? I mean, sometimes I know Pat and I talk about this, you know, either a lot of entrepreneurs that start off, they might not have that financial security. They don't really know what's ahead, but they still have that. I mean, is that something that you think is, you know, is just natural? It comes naturally where you're born with it? Or is it something that, you know, just kind of clicks in your mind and you're like, I don't want to do what other people are telling me to do. I don't want to work for anybody. I don't want to go to school, whatever the reason may be. You know, what do you think causes that right. you know, frame of mind? Uh, I, I'm no expert, but my opinion is that it's a personality trait. Like, you're born that way. You know, you're hardwired that way. I, 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 am, a, I am a belief that if somebody isn't born and bred to be an entrepreneur, like personality wise, like personality trait, and they try to be, it's just not going to work. You know, people are, have personalities for different things and different talents, you know, that's why a lot of entrepreneurs are never good at school Mm -hmm. because they just don't follow rules. You know, it's just difficult for them. It's a personality trait. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, I'm no expert on this stuff. I don't know what the hell do I know, but I, I just know that, me and a lot of other entrepreneurs I know, we're all kind of the same person in, ter- in terms of personality-wise. Mm-hmm. You, you know, we're good with people and we don't like rules and we move around a lot. You yeah, know, and you have this things- like, I don't have anything to lose mentality. Like, even though yeah. you do have stuff to lose, you have time to lose, you have money yeah. to lose, but at the same time, it's like, fuck it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, at the same time, I'm going to be, I'm going to be trying, you know, working hard towards something that I really believe in and I'm, it's, I'm willing to lose all that if, if it doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you, and as you again, as you kind of grow older, I'm, I'm not old, but you know what I mean, as, you, as you, you get more years into your career, you're, you get much better at assessing. As assess- you're seasoned. Yeah, you get much better at assessing risk. Right. You, you so, know, I, I, wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't take some decisions today that I did in college, for example, mm-hmm. you know, that's just, it would be a dumb decision. What's one decision that you wouldn't make again? Oh, well, I certainly wouldn't sell anything illegally. 
you know, it's, it's just not worth the risk anymore, right? With employees and everything that's going on. I mean, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. You know, I can't sell booze without a liquor license at one of my restaurants. Fuck no. <laughs> You'll be close. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you just You're can't too high profile it. these days. But when no. I was in college <laughs> running out of my apartment, what the fuck did I care? Right, you yeah. know? Right, right. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to know, like, how you went from having, you know, a few friends over to have, hosting 70-something people in your dorm room, like, or your, your, your apartment, because... At, at the same time, like you had never done this before, you didn't have like a restaurant your background or anything mm-hmm. like that. So you're like learning at the same time. But also, there's also I'm sure more things than just you know the fact that uh, you had someone cooking food and right. a table set up. So what was that process? The learning like? process. Yeah. Uh, learning process, and why do you think it was so successful in, in those couple of years? Okay. Learning process, uh, a lot of it was for mistakes. I mean, we made a lot of mistakes in, uh, in, uh, at the beginning. Uh, a lot of big ones. But we were doing it on such a small scale, and at the beginning it was with our friends. It was a little bit more of a forgivable, forgiving atmosphere. You know what I mean? Uh, you would just learn as you go. You, you know, I, I'm sure you're learning a lot of things as you're doing this podcast. Sure. You've been started this podcast. You know, you learn a lot of mm-hmm. shit. You know, mm-hmm. you just... I, I'm just a firm believer of... You know, just jump in the pool and learn how to swim. Right. You, you know, you'll figure it out. And that's and that's what we did. And uh, again, we made a lot of mistakes along the way, but we learned from those and got better and better every week. And we're also, we're also very passionate and very dedicated to learning, mm-hmm. right? We wanted to get better every week. That's mm-hmm. why we became better every week because we really wanted to be better. Um, and we'd listen to the feedback from, from the customers, students who came every week saying like, hey, this was great this week, but nah, this not so great or... We listened. I listened to every single word customers would tell us every week mm-hmm. and took it very seriously and made changes immediately, mm-hmm. immediately mm-hmm. Um, on the spot. So sometimes I think for entrepreneurs and you know founders and both, it's hard for us to kind of separate, you know, the feedback that we get that could be against what we've originally thought. And then, you know, some like the, re- the reality of that. How did you, you know, deal with that in terms of, okay, I think that this is right. What I'm doing is right. But, you know, my customers don't. Did you always go with what the customer thought? Uh, tough question to answer, uh, just from a memory standpoint. Right. But uh, I or, would even, say, or even now. I would know. say more often than not. More often than not. You, got, you have to be malleable. I mean, of course, of course, you go in with a certain concept and right. what you want to do and, and an idea. But I mean, you got to let that idea evolve. Uh, like, for example, Bakro, our first restaurant. At the beginning, we we originally wanted it to be uh, modeled after a Venetian wine bar, mm-hmm. which a Venetian in Venice, Italy. And those wine bars are very obviously wine driven and serve very small plates, right. like chicchetti, which is the Italian version of Spanish tapas. Okay, gotcha. so that's what it started out as. But here we are, ten years later. Uh, the concept is, it still has its roots, but it's. I mean, you can make the argument that it's completely different than what it was in the first year. Mm-hmm. I mean, the plates are bigger; they're more filling because, and I'll tell you why. Because customers started to come in that first year, and a lot of customers saying, getting a lot of those small plates and saying, hey, man, we're hungry. We're hungry. We're hungry. We're hungry. We're hungry. So we started putting more, heartier food on the menu. Hmm. I mean, if, if we were so uh, hard-headed about only serving tiny chicchetti like they do in Venice, Italy, We'd probably be out of business by right, now. Right, right, right. They say, "Fuck it, we're not going to go back to that place. They don't feed us enough." And there's, a, I think, there's a reason why it works in like Italy and it doesn't work here. I mean, it's very, you know, the the society and the environment is very different yes. there. You know, it's okay to go for you know a glass of wine, have a little small things here. You know, especially in the areas that at least you guys have opened, uh, Baccaro and Baccari, you have people that are they want to eat when they go to a yeah. restaurant. They're expecting to a walk meal. out, right? Mm-hmm. They're expecting to walk out, you know, full, like whether they pay little or a lot. Yeah. At the very least, I mean, for myself, too, I feel that way. It's like, I, anywhere I go, i got to walk out full. I definitely exactly. want to get to Bakker and Bakery, but um, I'm still curious, like, yeah, you know, sorry. during the... Yeah. And this was the Paladar days, right? Paladar. Yeah. Oh, oh, Paladar. And if I may shamelessly plug, yeah. there is a Paladar documentary mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on iTunes. P-A-L-A-D-A-R. Just look it up on iTunes. It's like two bucks to rent. I get a good 10 cents out of that. If and this is about the whole operation. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, film yeah. Student Fall uh, was in there for a year and a half filming the entire operation and put together like a hour and 15 hour and 20 minute documentary about awesome. the whole thing. So awesome. Yeah. Um, so 
I mean, during that time, like you said, you would get a lot of feedback. Is there anything that stood that stood out to you to the point you still remember today? Like, oh wow, like I did not know that, and that really like saved, I guess, my career. Or, Ooh, like, or, yeah, man, it was a long time ago. I, I there's probably many examples that are just not coming right to my brain right now. Uh, or we can even switch it up. I mean, like, was there yeah. something at that time? Like, it sounds like things were going really well. Like, you guys were just getting more and more people every time, and the demand was high, and people were like getting pissed because they weren't able to like get on the list. Was there anything or any moment where you were like, oh shit, like maybe I'm not having fun at this moment because I don't enjoy this part of it, or something right. went wrong, and you were just like, you know, not sure of the, you know, the the, the future of it, anything like that, right? Um. I don't, I'm not sure if I ever had a moment where I was very worried or very scared that we would have to stop doing it. I'll be completely honest with you that Hmm. from the day we started to the day we graduated, every week got busier, Hmm. Uh, honestly. But I mean, feedback, I mean, for example, like something that popped into my mind right now, it was BYOB, right? So like a group of kids would come in like group of 10 girls, let's say, right? Yeah. They'd show up with two handles of vodka mm-hmm. and nothing else. And, and nothing else. So they asked me, like, why don't you have ice? Why don't you have mixers? Like, oh, shit, I thought you'd bring them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> fuck, it's BYOB. I think you bring a handle of vodka and you bring something else to mix it with. How the fuck am I supposed to know? <laughs> um, so from that week on, I obviously offered ice and I offered mixers at charge. Mm. I would charge for them. Mm-hmm. Right, because I have to pay for them. Obviously, I have to right. charge for them, and I, that was a, a way for me to make more money, added mm-hmm. revenue. So I, again, it was just I was dialed in and tuned in, mm-hmm. listening mm-hmm. and watching every single week mm-hmm. uh, at everything, mm-hmm. and we would make adjustments and improvements every single week, or like even with the food. Like sometimes we get a complaint, like food was great, man, but I'm just not full. You know, college kid wants to get full. Right. They want to leave full. Um, so Alex started cooking, not necessarily making portions bigger, but cooking heartier food, putting more potatoes and things, yeah. etc., to fill up a kid's stomach. You know, uh, so again, it's just we're just listening. You know, you just got to listen, and uh, and th- and that's how you make sure customers come back and they come back happy and tell somebody else mm-hmm. about it. You know? So um, you guys obviously went through school and at some point you got to graduate and leave school. Uh, what what was that like? Like how did you just shut it down? Like all these all these kids are like really excited every Thursday to go to Paladar. Right. How, right. What was like the end of it? It was a little bit uh, not sad, but, but yeah, it, it's like a few years of your like life right there. You just yeah. like, and the best times of your life where you just yeah. dedicated to this thing. So yeah, it was. Uh, it was a weird feeling, uh, but I mean, we continued. We continued to do Paladar after college, actually, mm. but a different format where Paladar was a, a traveling supper club. Okay, where we would do it in different homes. People would host us, different homes and stuff around LA, and it'd be like an underground dinner that way, mm. like pop ups type. <clears throat> yeah, we did that for a little bit after college, just to keep making money while Alex was trying to find a job at. A, at a kitchen in LA. Uh, I, so he didn't go to medical school. He went, <laughs> yeah, he yeah, didn't go he to medical to kitchens. school. Nice. Uh, and yeah, we just did that to pick up extra cash. And then eventually I got so busy with the other restaurant with my brother and he got so busy because he picked up a job that we just couldn't do it anymore. Time-wise. Yeah. So your brother started Bacro while you were at in college. Correct. Yeah. So he had Bacro right down the street. And what was cool and interesting about it was if somebody couldn't get a Paladar reservation, they'd go to Bacro and kind of vice versa. Was it like a similar menu or similar style? Not at all. Just completely different? Completely. And and like, so I I know growing up, like you didn't, again, like didn't have anyone in your family like that had a restaurant or anything. I maybe you did, but you didn't say, um, why do you think both you and your brother kind of took that path? (sighs) That's it. That's an interesting question, man. Um, I don't know. Part part of the answer to the question is just we kind of fell into it, and, and I, I don't know. You know when you just fall into something, and it yeah. just kind of. But you guys were you guys like obviously talking at the time, like, "Hey, I'm doing this," and I'm sure he was helping you out. You were helping him out. But yeah. It just happened. I mean, my brother entered in it to, into it first. Okay. Um, I think it comes from just we we love to be hosts. I, I mean, being a host even outside of work for me is mm-hmm. like very uh, rewarding. 
Mm. Like I love throwing house parties. I love like I'm the type of guy who has a big birthday party. I mean, I you know most of it's I like the attention, but but you know <laughs> it's I just, not a bad thing. Yeah. There is such a, a great feeling yeah. for me when somebody has a great time in a space that I provided and tells me I just want to let you know everything was great. I had such a great time. For me, all the work involved in providing that service is worth it for that good review. Mm-hmm. That's what keeps me going. And I think just the love of customer service and making a customer happy, which is something we grew up with, you know, something that was instilled in us, is just so prevalent in a restaurant. It's just so direct, you know, like, you know, at the beginning days of the restaurant, Danny and I were serving every day. Danny's your brother. Danny's my yeah. brother, yeah. yeah. We were serving every day, mm-hmm. doing everything every day. So like to be able to make a customer happy with whatever I was doing while serving them was very rewarding for me. You know, the, the work, I didn't mind the work. It you had like a direct like impact on their happiness. Absolutely. And I also think it's cool because, I mean, you said earlier you just like being around people. It's something I think both Patrick and I share in common as well. Uh, I mean, we, we always want to be around people at all times. I mean, that's why that's part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is because we love sitting down with folks, hearing their stories, sharing, you know, you know yeah. opinions and thoughts or whatever. But... At the same time, it's it's a lot of hard work. It's not it's not all fun and games. Yeah. Um, so you bring up listening, and you know Pat and I have been doing a lot of listening to our listeners. And something that they've asked us is, hey, you know, you guys always talk about the successes. You guys always talk about, you know, this person sold the company for X hundred million of dollars. Right, right. But they're like, we can we know that stuff. Like we know it's going to be some happy ending that you guys are sitting down with them. But we want to hear more about the failures because that's what we're going through. Or we're sure. going through the bad days. You know, what are some of you know you know, if there were any, what were some of your bad days and how did you just, how did you keep on going? Right. And I, uh, just to preface it, I, I think that's a great idea. And I think, uh, it's important because again, in the social media age, everybody is just putting in your face, positive news, Right. you know, the great place they went, traveled, great girlfriend or boyfriend they have great accomplishment at work. And of course, if they have a bad day, don't post anything about it. You yeah, know, so yeah, you, yeah. we live in this yeah, world. Yeah, I mean, some where, do. It's like, you know, a shitty day, but like, who wants to follow that guy? Exactly. But yeah, that's, so that's you the li- truth. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> living in this world where you just see positive news. And yeah. I think that's bullshit. Yeah. Uh, God, man, we, I, you know, to some degree, we have a failure every fucking day, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, we have 130 employees now and a lot of shit going on. And something goes wrong every day. And do you perceive that as a failure? Maybe, maybe not. Um, we've had one failed restaurant. We've had one failed product launch, food product launch, completely busted. Lost my ass on that. Um, and then within the operation, within the successful operation, if we, you write what's perceived to be successful, we, there are ideas within that operation that flat fucking right. fail. Mm. Right? Um, so, but, you know, at the end of the day, we don't dwell on it very much. It doesn't feel good. Uh, I remember when our product failed that I put so much goddamn work and, and passion into it. And I really thought it was a good idea. You know, I really did. What was the product? It was, uh, well, you guys are Middle Eastern, so you know Lubna. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I... I I launched a line of flavored Lubna, but for all the white people listening, <laughs> Lubna is like a strained yogurt, yeah. um, a kefir yogurt, and I had four flavors of it, like a dip. It's funny you mentioned that because I had an idea like that and I had written down, this was like four or five years ago, I wrote down in my notes somewhere, I probably have it still, like literally flavors, and one of them I remember was avocado Lubna. Because it's, it's, it's delicious. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just like, you know, I didn't think that. And I called a few markets. I was like, and they're like, yeah, there's, 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 no, there's no place on the shelves. You know, they're just like, don't yeah. even think about it. I was like, okay, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a tough world in that, in that game. Why do, why do you think it didn't work out? Um, I, uh, for, from a vari- for a variety of reasons. Uh, I mean, our sales were growing, but... The, the food side of the business on the shelf is, is a very difficult one, yeah. very competitive, and it takes a lot of upfront capital to keep growing, which is something we were unwilling to keep doing. Yeah. Um, that, that was the biggest issue. Um, but again, I think it's important to talk about, and I don't know if you guys experience this, but being an entrepreneur can be an absolute emotional roller coaster. Every minute of the yeah, day. Right? Yeah, right. So they'll, you'll have a good day where something 
like a deal went well or like yeah. whatever. Like like today is a good yeah. day for me yeah. because it's going to happen tomorrow, but looks like I'm finally going to reach a deal on a new lease for a new restaurant. Amazing. And we've been negotiating with this landlord yeah. who's awesome. kind of a yeah. dickhead yeah. for a couple of months. Right. And it's finally getting there and it's like, okay, yeah. you know, good day today. I feel good. Yeah. It's good day. It's good that we did the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but there are days where things like 10 things can go wrong or like an idea you had failed or you feel like a failure. Right. Right. And you can really have uh, a down day. And I mean, emotionally, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll be honest with you. There are some days where I'm up just fucking killing it, taking over the world. Mm-hmm. And there are days that I just want to crawl up in bed and not talk to anybody. Mm. Right. And that's, that's the honest truth. Yeah. And those days don't happen too often. Thank God. But it's real. And you, you know, and people come up to me all the time. They're like, Oh God, it must be so awesome owning four restaurants. And what a glad, you know, they think it's just a fucking glamorous lifestyle. And okay. There are positives to it. Right, of right. course. But behind the scenes, they don't mm-hmm. see. There's a happens. reason why it's so glamorous is because somebody's probably doing some, not glamorous things behind the scenes. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But it's like this mindset of knowing like whatever you're going through at the moment, you've, you've been there before and, and it's always turned out well. Like with those days that are great, you know it's coming up. You know you're working towards it. Like whether it's like, you know, you're working towards a deal and some days are just shitty because things are like not working out, but you know like one of those days is going to work out and it's going to pay for all these days that... Absolutely. You know, so the, the highs are really high. Yeah. Right? Yep. The highs are worth it. The lows can get really low too, mm-hmm. but yeah. the highs make it all worth it, man. So yeah. so um so again, uh your brother had Baccaro and you're graduating college, you do Paladar for a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, on the road. What when did you decide to venture off on I mean, you, did you go start working with your brother? Yeah, right when I graduated. Okay. I was so, doing Paladar on the side. So but you were I decided working at Baccaro. with my brother immediately. Okay. So you guys uh, kinda went into it together, uh pick you know help started helping him with what you know the day-to-day stuff yeah um at what point did you start growing that business pretty soon uh you know i moved in there and kind of channeled a lot of the energy and uh uh, positive let's just call them vibes that were happening around paladar and just kind of channeled that into bakro and bakro is already successful in its own right Mm -hmm. uh and that point I mean, within six months I was there, we took over the this nail salon next door and expanded the restaurant and expanded our seating and it allowed us to do much bigger parties and bring in a lot more revenue. It kind of changed a lot for us um, and created the platform and the cash flow that allowed us to, to open up that second restaurant and then keep moving forward. Was the there. second restaurant the Playa del Rey? No, so it's second restaurant is our coffee shop, Nature's Brew, which oh. is right next door to Bacro. Right, right, right. right. This guy, coffee shop, really shitty one, was there for a long time, Ragazzi mm-hmm. Room. He went out of business. <clears throat> we saw it as an opportunity to take it over. All the equipment was there, you know, pennies on the dollar for everything. We knew USC needed a great coffee shop, cafe type of place. So we opened up and just <laughs> flipped it and opened in a month nice. and, and started going. Um, and we did that with all our own cash that from, from Bacro. Um, and then we ran that business for, I don't know, a couple of years or something. And then, then Bakri Playa del Rey came after that. Got mm-hmm. it. So this is like three, four years after you graduate. Um, so I graduated in 2011, Bacro, Bakri PDR opened in 2014. Yeah. So yeah. three years. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so at that point, you're like, you have a couple of different restaurants. Um, how are you guys like managing, working between each of them? Like, is your brother handling one, you're handling the other? Yeah, uh, yeah, to some degree. I mean, we just, again, the beginning years of Bakro were learning the ins and outs of the business, right? The, the science of delivering that food to your table in a profitable manner, right? And everything that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. If I, I could, this, that could turn into a two-hour conversation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and customer service, you know, just learning everything on the floor. Uh, then we opened up next year, but we started to, you, the learning curve was now um, being able to manage those restaurants and the, the quality control and the customer expectation, et cetera, without being there every day, right? Because mm. being there every day for the rest of our lives is just not sustainable or yep. realistic. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you're, as you keep growing and things are changing, what you're learning is something... I'm still learning something new today. 
but it's just a different something new yeah. that you know it's still it's still attached and related to the to the restaurant right but exa- what i'm doing right now i'm doing for the first time also you know and what i'm doing right now is learning how to scale the business quicker you know and, and to to manage everything from a main office you know and to make sure the customer leaves with the same experience today as they did mm-hmm. that first year mm-hmm. when I was personally serving them. Right. To be able to recreate that experience from a main office, very so difficult. So how, how do you scale that? Like let's say someone is starting uh, you know, a, a, a position now at Bakery. Right. Um, what do they learn on the first day about uh, how, to, how the business works? The, the, yeah. So the, the thing they learn on the first day is just the overall culture of the restaurant. Right, our our approach to customer service, what the food is, where the influence of the food comes. They, they learn about our executive chef, who's a partner with us now, uh, and they learn that it's family owned because a lot of the vibe of the restaurant is neighborhood wine bar, family owned, very warm atmosphere, warm body language, smiles. Uh, we're not a pretentious restaurant, right? And that's the thing they learn on day one. They, they need to understand the culture of the restaurant and why people keep coming back to us. Um, and so along with that comes, you know, a, a rigorous training program that involves right. all those things. At the beginning, I didn't have a fucking training program. Mm. You just come in there and I was there. Right. And you better do what my brother and I are doing or you're just not going to fit in. Yeah. You know, that was the training program. Just come in and follow our lead. Right. Obviously, that doesn't work anymore. You know. So now it's on paper and our director of operations instills that in them because our director of operations has been with us the longest and understands my brother and I and our chef better than anybody, you know? So it's just, you, you start to create procedures and systems um, that need to be there to try to uh, keep the experience as authentic as possible when we were in there. That's what I go for It's like, when we kind of go astray and we have a bad month of service, right? Or we get a couple bad Yelp reviews in a row or we get a bad, bad feedback from a customer who says the food sucked or my, my server was an asshole. You know, that happens. And that, uh, that makes my heart drop to my stomach, by mm. the way, when that ever, every single time. Mm. If, a customer, if I get an email from a customer or anything where they said they had a shitty experience, God damn it, that just makes me feel like absolute shit. Mm-hmm. But anyways... Um, so when we get led astray, I always come back to how do we get back to when Danny Lior, who's a chef and I were in there, how do we get back to that feeling? You know, it's, it's not just the logistics, it's the vibe. It's mm-hmm. the feeling mm-hmm. we would give off when we're in there that mm-hmm. people bought into. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's always, how do we get back there? That's how I, that's, that's what drives everything for me. Yeah. Is how do we get back to when the food came out, when Lior's hand touched that food? And how do we get back to when the customer service, when I was talking to the customer or when Danny was talking to the customer? How do we get back there? Mm-hmm. If, if, if we ever find ourselves unsuccessful at some point. Got it. It's, it's just going, kind of going back to the roots. And at this point, um, had you guys raised any like outside money to like fund your growth? Or was it mo- mostly just from your success at Baccaro and Nature's Brew? Yeah, it's, it's, we haven't raised any outside capital. Uh, and yeah. we're just at, at this point at this stage we're still not open to it we have a great relationship with our bank who provides a lot of financing for us mm-hmm. so because obviously okay. starting a restaurant especially in the locations that you guys are in must not be you know yeah. cheap to do so. yeah uh, so we have a great financing partner which is a godsend mm. uh, you know we'd rather not take any private investors we, we don't want to have to deal with that yeah. we don't want to have to sign any equity away obviously if you don't have to so uh the, la- la- the last restaurant in Glendale was fully funded by the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, this next restaurant coming up uh, is going to be fully funded by the bank. So it's great because we don't have to go out of pocket anymore. But, you know, there's added risk, of, of course, of the, of the loan and everything. Uh, but we'd rather do that than sign equity away and deal with some, some asshole who doesn't know mm-hmm. what we're doing. You mm-hmm. know? If the only way I think we'd consider it is if a bigger restaurant group, like p- people who were much more knowledgeable than me, right? Much more experienced than I have. More of like a strategic partnership. Exactly. Yeah. If, if they would come in 
and I think I'd, we would be open to the idea of them buying a stake and helping us grow yeah. faster mm-hmm. uh, and uh, putting better systems in place than we have right now to, uh, to be there to, to help the growth. Um, I think that's the only way we'd be open to it at this point. Yeah. So, so you have the the one bak- you have Bakaro, you have the two Bakaris, and you have Nature's Brew, right? Uh, and correct. you're opening up a new one, new Bakari, and another Bakari. Um, so, what is like? Are you just like looking to as far as like the near future goes, like expand the Bakari? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, yeah. we we have a lot of concepts in in, in our brains, uh, but you know what? People like Bakari. Yeah. I love and they like the food. They love the price point. <laughs> yep, we've we've realized that we've got something good going. There's on. There just isn't much like it. Like you, when you yeah. go there, you don't get that same experience. Other yeah, places. good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, there's just something there that's working, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the food and the price point. Everything, just every, yeah. everything, everything coming yeah. together, it works. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking to ourselves, why would we open up a whole different concept right. and, and go through all of that mm-hmm. when we can just open up another bakery when we know people like it. Uh, and just from a management standpoint, it's so much easier, right? right? It's, it's so much easier to manage and open and get going because everybody already knows the recipes. Everybody understand like, staffing-wise, I mean, it's easy to promote people and give them management positions over there because they've been with us for three or four years. They already know how the food works. They know mm-hmm. how the service works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so much easier. Um, if, again, if the response is still positive, I mean, why not ride the wave a little bit longer as long right. as it will go? Right. That's kind of how we're looking at it. How do you prevent yourself from being complacent? Oh, I think more the question is, how do I prevent my managers from being complacent? <laughs> um, I'm just not a complacent person, man. Uh, I can't, I, at least still at this age or whatever, this stage. Right. Um, I get fucking bored. That's how I'm not complacent, you know? Yeah. As, like as soon as Glenn, we opened, because we opened up Glenn, it's been a year now. Yeah. Uh, a little bit over a year. Six months into Glendale, we were like, what's next? Because we've gotten better, much better now, where we can get a restaurant stable and systems in place and yeah. the gear is moving quicker. So when we see those gears are moving and it's stable and okay, we feel good here, staff is good, customers, we have steady flow, positive reaction. We're like, okay, what's next? What's the next idea? Yeah, I get bored. That's how. I, that's yeah. how I don't get complacent. So on that note, I mean, I know you're very busy with the, what you're doing now with on the Bakery side, uh, as well as every, all the projects you have going on. Um, is there anything that like your heart is burning to do that you just like want to do, or maybe don't have the time to do right now? Um, there, yeah, there are a couple of things, um, and a, and really, it's a couple other restaurant concepts um, that I have in my brain that I'm really passionate about, and I think could be great. It's just it just doesn't fit in right now. Yeah. The it's not the right time timing. Exactly. Mm. It's just not the right time. Uh, I do like, I, this is on, on a side note. I, I love real estate investment as well. I'd like to be able to do more of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- this house that we're sitting in right now, I, it was a two bedroom, two bath piece of shit. And, you know, I turned it into a three bed, three bath and redid the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I designed, I, I designed the restaurants. I love design. So I, design this whole house you know so I, that's a real passion of mine too but not as much as the restaurants though again I just like staying active yeah you, you know I had extra time so I decided to put it into this house mm-hmm. and spend my 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. here at this house with the contractor and taking care of that before I started my day with the restaurants mm-hmm. you know I just like to be active yeah. I get bored I don't know what the fuck to do with downtime I don't know about you same, guys. I mean, yeah, same here. Like people tell me, or like my girlfriend will tell me, like, why can't you just sit and relax no for one hour on the couch? Yeah. And I'm just like, because that's that's boring. And at some point, there's <laughs> always something to do. So anytime you're in that position, you just kind of fall back on like, oh, but I could be doing this and you know, forward, yeah, pushing think, this a little bit forward. Exactly. Or that, or it's, it's, like, it's like you almost feel guilty that you're not being productive with your time to yeah. some degree, yeah. which is a fucked up way to think about it because everybody needs their downtime for mm-hmm. mental health. But it's just this is the way I'm built, man. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just the way I am. I always like to be active. If if I have free time, I'll pick up some other project. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll just do something else, like even on the side. Yeah. So let's say you uh, couldn't or didn't do something in the restaurant space, or maybe in the hospitality space. Is there anything else that you would have seen yourself doing? Like, if it could be, let's say, something else, what would it be? 
I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if I can answer that question. I, yeah. I love the restaurants. Yeah. You know, I, I really do. Uh, There's nothing like it. It's just that one-to-one interaction with people. Yeah. And... I mean, running the restaurants is a, a serious motherfucker. But I'll tell you it's worth it when you walk in on a Friday night, okay, and the restaurant is packed and the energy's there, the music's on, people are laughing, right? It's Drinking loud. that endless sangria. Yeah, yeah, endless, the bottomless sangria. Bottomless, sorry, endless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you see the food flying out of the kitchen, right? There's action in the kitchen. You see the bartender pushing out drinks. Like, that is so fucking satisfying to see that action and people having fun in there. It's worth, it's worth it for mm-hmm. me. That is worth it for me. And I love that feeling. Again, I love the feeling of being a host. And if people are having fun because of something I'm providing, that is the most important thing to me. That is the most rewarding thing for me. Uh, honestly, I, 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 I don't see myself doing anything else, really, at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm open to the idea of not being into the restaurant business for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm also to the, open to the idea of being in hospitality for the rest of my life also. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of whatever happens. I take it project at a time, mm-hmm. you, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 You know, I want to I wanna end with this. There's a question that, uh, and I'm laughing because Pat's going to laugh when I ask this. There's a question that Guy Raz asks on how I built this, an episode that he has. Luck. On luck. Is it luck or is it skill? But but the way he says it, every time he'll stutter as if he's never asked that question before. So I'm going to try and... Yeah. It, 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 is it Is it So I'm going to ask you, Bobby, you know, <laughs> you know the, the success that you've had so far, is it... Do you attribute it to, 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 to luck or to skill? All right. <laughs> I think it's a combination of both. Uh, We've definitely gotten some serious lucky breaks, you know, just like lucky timing mostly. <laughs> but again, you put yourself in the position to be lucky. If you're sitting on the couch all day, you're never going to get lucky. 100%. Right? You got to put yourself in the position to receive that luck. <laughs> but at the same time, anybody who has whatever, somewhat success in their career and doesn't attribute any of it to luck, I just think is an egomaniac. You know, yeah. that's just bullshit. You know, it, it might be 80% hard work, but there's always a luck factor. Yeah. Um, like, we were extraordinarily lucky to get that Americana space, timing-wise. Of course, okay? yeah. Of course, our hard work... Got you there. Yeah. Got us in the position mm-hmm. to even be considered to be in that lucky situation, right, if that right. makes sense. And it'll probably only get easier as you build experience, as you have, you know, more, you know, this, more, more credibility, you know. Yeah. But it was a lucky interaction right. and very out of the blue phone call that got us in that space at mm-hmm. the right time right. to get it. Yeah. It was very lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. Totally. But I would say, and I would warn, don't, don't count on luck because it won't take you very far on its own. That's for, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bobby, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank um, you. You've, you've obviously killed it so far, and we can't wait to see you continue to kill it. As I said before, I absolutely love Bakery, and I go there all the time. We, we both do. Yeah. Um, so thanks again for the conversation, Thank you. and Thank uh, you. all the best. Thank you, guys. Thank you.